Hey, you're listening to So To Speak. I'm your host, John Beadle. So To Speak exists to resource its members and those who listen uh, with the tools to rightly interpret the world by first rightly interpreting themselves. Today, I want to talk about a subject I really enjoy, which is humor. Um, but I also want to let you know that on March 16th, we have our first event. Um, it's a Friday night, 7 p.m. It's going to be at this place called The Chop in downtown Conroe, Texas. All the information will be in the description, but we really want to see you there. It'll be a night not just for me to talk, although I will talk. There'll be people you know, telling their stories from different walks of life of what this group means to them and what it means to really articulate your, your views and your vision for your life and purpose and meaning and, all, and that kind of stuff as well as a time for you to be able to voice your concerns with the world and, um, and the things going on inside you with someone else who can give and lend a sympathetic ear, who can participate in a conversation in good faith and may actually be able to um, help you on the journey. So I hope to see you there March 16th. Let's get it started. I watched this really weird movie recently called Phantom of Thread. Perhaps you've heard of it. I've been wanting to watch it for months. I mean, I'm a, well, I'll just admit it right now. I'm a big fan of Paul Thomas Anderson's films. I thought There Will Be Blood was probably the best movie I have seen. One of the best, probably top 10 in the last 10 years. I mean, an unbelievably chilling um, view of American industry at the time that it's the time period it's portraying. Um, and Paul Thomas Anderson is really famous for sort of making these very well done, very well acted, very well written kind of cold movies, right? His movies are not very particularly warm, and uh, but they're well acted, well written. Phantom Thread is no exception. It is a masterpiece. It is one of those movies that truly captures uh, the time period that it's in, like the 1950s uh, post-World War II England, and it features one of my favorite actors of all time, which is Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, he's worked in The Last of the Mohicans, Larry Will Be Blood, um, Gangs of New York. Everybody knows he's a method actor, so that means that he basically immerses himself in the character and gets so lost in the character. And, and in this movie, it's no different. I did not see Daniel Day-Lewis performing the actor, uh, or the character of Reynolds Woodcock uh, from, from the House of Woodcock. You know, I saw, I saw Reynolds Woodcock, the character. Um, I saw him, the designer, the, the designer of these fabulous dresses. And um, I never thought it'd be a movie that I might like. I mean, if there were anybody else, any other actors, any other director, I probably wouldn't watch this movie. It's very strange. It's very chic. Um, the characters in them are very old-fashioned. They live in an upper-class, high-society life but very obsessive. The, the, the character of Reynolds Woodcock is an obsessive artist. He cares a lot about his craft, and so he has pretty much built his entire life around his craft, his interaction with family, with society, with the women that he loves um, are very just, they're all, they're all kind of just around his, this is his life, right? Now, without giving anything away, we have a movie because he falls in love with a young woman named Alma, who becomes his muse for this next line of dresses that he releases, right? And then she's very stubborn, he's very stubborn, stubborn, and then, of course, the drama ensues, and we have a movie. 
And it, it's, the movie explores in a very unique way, I think, this sort of subversive com, this sort of subversive romance. Um, but that's not what's really that interesting about it. What the most interesting aspects of it has to do with the the way that Paul Thomas Anderson deals with the topic of emotion. Um, that you have a character who is brilliant at what he does, extremely efficient, and who does it and, and basically orchestrates his entire life. Everything that surrounds his craft has to do with the way that he feels. Not about truth, the knowledge of himself. In the very beginning of the movie, he tells Alma that he will not, he's never been married because he believes with certainty that marriage would make him deceitful. Right? But as the movie progresses more and more, the character reveals what we see in, in his in, in this character is that actually he's just he's like a little boy in a man's body. He is completely um, subject uh, subjects himself uh, to his own emotional desires and whims, and believes that these emotions are absolute. That everyone around him must also. Uh, be committed to these little idiosyncrasies that he has in his life. Like the people cannot speak during breakfast. Breakfast is a quiet time for Reynolds Woodcock. Otherwise, it throws off his entire day. Everything must be perfect. Everything must be in order. And one of the images that comes to mind is of a three-year-old who has to separate the greens from the gravy in his on, on his plate. So what you see over time is that there's just incredibly successful toddler who <laughs> who can't commit and and yet receives all of these the benefits of society but is still completely depressed and sad um, is it a movie that everyone should see absolutely not unless you're a strange person like me I mean come on my wife does not allow me um, you know the number, this is what she says the number one rule whenever we have couples over who want to watch a movie is the number one rule is that John is not allowed to pick the movie because when I do, people fall asleep or they lose interest or they leave halfway through the movie. So so don't take my word for it, but it is one of those movies that gives rise to something I want to talk about today in the next segment, which is the, abs- the absolution of emotivism in our politics and our culture. Um, I believe that politics flows downstream from culture which is a big reason why we're doing this, so to speak, thing. It's not about electoral politics. I mean, I was at a political rally, a political victory party recently for our county, surrounded by a lot of interesting people who only wanted to talk about you know, their numbers and things like that, which I understand it was a victory party. But I kept thinking to myself, could these people have a conversation? Would they be willing to have a conversation with somebody from the other side? And are... Our, is our public life really ordered in such a way anymore that we can do that kind of conversation? I don't know. Stay tuned. All right, so I want to talk about the recovery of a sense of humor. There's something about humor that really challenges us, right? It's Something is funny, not just because it's absurd, but because it's true. We, we like to hear jokes. We like things that are sarcastic, not simply because they make us laugh or make us feel good, but because they also are packaged in such a way as to tell us the truth. In fact, it's usually humor that we reject as the kind of humor that is not telling us the truth. Propaganda, lies. And it seems like today, I don't know, maybe you notice the same thing. A lot of people 
when it comes to the public conversation are losing their sense of humor. They're easily offended. We can't talk about certain odd cultural things about one another anymore without somebody feeling like they have to be offended for someone else, offended for themselves, and there seems to be this loss, right? There's this, this is, there's, nowhere is this more evident, I think, than in the satire industry. It seems like every single talk show host from John Oliver, uh, Jimmy Fallon, into uh, Seth Meyers, they, and on and on, they all seem to be saying the same things. They all seem to believe in exactly the same things. Jimmy Kimmel recently responded to a, a tweet that Donald Trump made, right, about the Oscars saying that there were no more celebrities at the Oscars, which is why <laughs> the, uh, why there were, it was a record low uh, of ratings. And, uh, and, he said, and then Trump makes a little quip that he's the only celebrity, of course. And uh, he, he puts in parentheses, I'm just kidding, guys, haha. You know, and it was actually kind of a funny, funny tweet. I was surprised. And Jimmy Kimmel responded by saying, funny coming from the, what is it? He said, the lowest, uh, lowest rated president in history. And he put history in all caps. Um, it, it's a little strange thing to say, considering factually it's untrue. Um, Trump's ratings right now are actually higher than Obama's were at this point in his term. And Obama was a pretty popular president um, for a lot of good reasons. And so it's factually untrue. And also the irony is that you have a comedian who seems to have lost his sense of humor. It seems like Trump really touched on something that uh, really must have offended Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, and I just, I don't know. I Maybe you're not like me. You don't really care about those kinds of things. But I notice the people who get power and what people do with power and the way that the things that really make them lose their sense of humor. I was recently reading G.K. Chesterton's book, Heretics. It's an unbelievable book. I mean, just unbelievable. It's a book of essays, a collection actually of his, where he was responding to the people who hated on him during his day, responded to those um, who were talking to him about him in public so he was trying to do the same, as well as responding to certain um, people in power who were creating art and creating um, dust-ups in the public sphere back in his day, right, in the early 20th century, late 19th century. And he's doing it with um, immaculate prose, really good wit. He's a very funny guy, but also makes really truthful points. And one of the things that he points out about satire is that the magic of satire is two things. One that the, the satirist first enjoys himself being satirical, right? And then two, the satirist enjoys his enemies, <laughs> enjoys those he makes fun of. So in this way, the satirist fulfills the law, right, of Jesus by loving his enemy. That it's a, it's a, it's a form of loving thy neighbor, loving thy enemy, which is a really interesting way of looking at it, if you think about it. Because at the heart of the satirist, who tells the truth, enjoys himself, enjoys his enemies, at the heart is love. Not Hollywood hot pink love. A love for the craft, a love for the truth, and a love for, for these enemies, right? Not a celebration of these enemies. A love, right, for making enemies, <laughs> 
And, um, and nobody did this better than G.K. Chesterton. And, and uh, there are many people who do this today. But it seems like the, the, there are many, many reasons for the loss of the sense of humor. But one of them seems to be that the loss has come because hatred and spite have also become virtues in our modern society. In which a comedian's response to a politician who responds to them in kind, in the same way in which they first made a joke about them, is not to make another joke, but is to simply make a hateful remark about their body or their policy. Instead of keeping it going, instead of maybe perhaps creating some goodwill, which may in turn actually lead to reform or change in our culture and change in our politics and change in the policy of the one who's being satirized, instead what we see is just more mudslinging and tribalism. And that's the, the paradox at the heart of satire and humor, is that when you do it right, you make friends out of your enemies, and things can actually become better. When you do it wrong, you're not actually funny, which is the first sin of our milieu, our cultural milieu. And secondly, you're just hateful and spiteful, and nobody really wants to hear what you have to say. Hey, thanks for listening to the So To Speak podcast. Don't forget that you can find us on Facebook just by searching for So To Speak and also on Twitter at speak underscore official. If you like what we're saying here and the kinds of things we're discussing, engage with the conversation. Find us on Facebook and discuss with us what you like, don't like, some other thoughts that you have, arguments that you would make. And also go ahead and go find us on iTunes. Subscribe and make an honest comment um, or review. So we look forward to hearing from you and have a wonderful day.